Well, that's the Bible reading. It's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to look at the first uh, 19 verses. And you can find the reading on page 275. Uh, you need a Bible, Robert. Uh, page 275. Um, and uh, I don't know what in Iranian 2 Samuel... Uh, right, where 275 is where we are, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who was raised high. The anointed of the God of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout, from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause to prosper. Sorry, will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph Bathshebeth, a Tachenomite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew, he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herodite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adulam. 
when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well in Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink of the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. Well, Rob's prayer that God will help us to understand that part of the Bible. We're going to be looking at it in a minute, but in two, in two different groups, actually in three different groups, because uh, we've got uh, a group of uh, children going off, a group of Iranians going off to Christianity Explained, Explored, and then the rest of us here will be uh, looking at that exciting passage uh, as we sit here. So let's go to our different groups. Here we are. Uh, hot day ventilation coming through. We've done as much as we can to take the roof off. That's as much as we can take off, I'm afraid. And, and it is really hot, isn't it? I did just simply say that in the heat of the moment. <laughs> boom, boom. Right. But look, I'm hoping that it's still worth coming here, even on a hot day when you could be outside in the breeze, because I'm hoping that the messages you get when you come into a Christian meeting like this I'm hoping the messages you get will be very different to the messages that you hear outside. So the messages that you get outside may well be uh, criticism. Maybe you've come in here after someone's been fairly critical of you this week and it's not been all that helpful for you. Come in here into a world of compassion. That's when God speaks. That's what it's like. Out there, it seems, in the words of our first song, that uh, not only is there criticism, but also there is chaos. And essentially that's what it seems, doesn't it? If a truck goes driving through a crowd in France, in Nice, chaos. When you've got a government in Turkey that someone's trying to overthrow, you've got chaos. Out there the headlines are telling us there's chaos. We, have in our own country a certain amount of ferment going on because we don't quite know what's going to happen with the European Union and how we're going to play that. It seems like uh, we've got things happening that no one seems fully in control of. But you come into the Bible world and you will find that there is a king in control. 
and we're going to find out what he's like, how we can relate to him, even how we can feel about him as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 23 tonight. And there's two things we're going to learn. First, we're going to see the last words of David. Now, David's been speaking to us. The story of his life has been there from to, all the way to chapter 20. But now that chapter 20 is over, you've still got three, four final chapters where David's still got things to tell us. And we're in chapter 23, we're in his last words. But the reason we're listening to his last words are because his last words point to the first words that we saw right at the start. And actually, the last words point to future words. What we're going to find the future is going to be like. So we start with the first words. Because David speaks in, verse, in chapter 23, verse 1, as the son of Jesse. That's where the story began. And we all know that the son of Jesse was what people used as a kind of put-down for David. You're a nothing man. You're just the son of Jesse. And if you know the story, you're the least because you're the last son of Jesse. You're not that important. That's how he was introduced to us in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And yet in 1 Samuel chapter 16, right at the very start, the prophet Samuel went and said, You are going to be, in the words of verse 1, the son of Jesse, the oracle man who was raised on high. The prophet Samuel went to this son of Jesse in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You are going to be raised on high. You are going to be the king of Israel. And now the last words of David are saying, yes, actually that's what happened. You're listening to the oracle of the man, no longer the son of Jesse, but the one who God raised on high. But actually, you're going even further back than 1 Samuel chapter 16. Go all the way to, look, keep a finger there, and go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 7. Uh, look, just let's look back uh, and see. Uh, Alan, I'll tell you what page it's on, and you can find that too. Um, and it's on page 226. Page 226. And chapter 2 and verse 7. You remember that uh, uh, Hannah uh, went into the temple at the very beginning of this book. And she said something very interesting in chapter 2 verse 7. She said that God makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. That's what... The first words tell us that David was the son of Jesse right at the bottom of the pile and God raised him up because in the end God is wonderfully able to do what Hannah said, to exalt those who are low. And that's what he did with uh, David. Uh, and uh, uh, that is, is a great freedom for us, isn't it? Because it means that this, 
God is able to take low and carry high, it means that none of us need to be pushy. God did that with David. He never pushed to become the king. God made sure he did. Wonderful truth about God is we are freed up from being pushy, wanting to get ourselves up at the front and up at the top. But there's something else that you see about David. He's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. Not that he was a gifted singer-songwriter, all their psalms are songs in the Bible, and David wrote lots of them. Maybe why they're saying this is because actually it is a sweet song to hear that there is a God in this world who doesn't let the poor and the crushed and the low stay under, their, under the heel of someone else. There is a God who is able to exalt those who are pushed into that position. And therefore you don't need to be pushed. That's a sweet song to hear. You can imagine people calling him the sweet psalmist of Israel because he said that. The son of Jesse has been raised on high. It's a sweet song to hear. But maybe there's another reason why. It's because actually the songs of David, the psalms that were written about David, talk about how great God is in showing off his amazing king. So you remember when David beat Goliath, uh, the women sang songs about him, about the great victory that he made. And so it could be that he was a sweet psalmist in the sense that he was the hero of Israel's psalms because he was the one who we could see God had pushed to uh, 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 elevate above the others and raised up and so it was sweet to see God do that with him so the wonderful thing about uh, the first words is that they tell us that uh, he was uh, the son of Jesse and that God is able to raise up those who are low but there are also future words look at verse 2 because it says there the spirit of the Lord speaks by me so the future words are really the spirit words He's going to tell you things about the future that you can rely on because the Spirit has said that through David. And therefore he tells you what the future will be like. And it is a future that is going to be wonderfully just in verse 3. It's about someone who is going to rule justly over men, i.e. mankind, i.e. over every single person in Dagenham. Okay, don't think just church, think our estate. There's going to be someone who is going to be ruling justly over that. You know what that's going to be like? Look at verse 4. It's going to be like a wonderful new morning like a sun shining on a cloudless day. In other words, there is something wonderfully fresh and unthreatening about this day. We'd love to wake up today like this. And yet it's a miraculous day because you notice that even though there's cloudless 
sky, there's rain. In the end of verse 4. That makes the grass to sprout from the earth. In other words, it's a supernatural day that is going to be wonderfully like the first day of the world when creation was growing abundantly. When you got rain in those days, in that area of the world, that was liquid gold. And rain and sun, we all know, makes up for wonderful, wonderful growth. And so what David is saying is there's going to be someone coming who will rule Actually, from his house, someone, one of his descendants, in verse 5, because that's going to be part of the everlasting covenant that God has made with David, someone's going to turn up who is going to bring about this new, wonderful day that reminds us of the new creation which Christians have come to refer to as heaven, which is the fulfillment of what God planned for the start of the world. These are spirit words. And they're telling us there's going to be a day like this. But you notice that a day like this has also got to entail a certain amount of removal. The thorns have got to go. Can you see that in verse 6 and verse 7? Thorns are the things that wreck creation in Genesis. And it is interesting how 2 Samuel chapter 23 tells us that the thorns are like worthless people. Now, if you've been through the trip so far, you'll notice that there have been lots of worthless people, Nabal and others, and there's been no opportunity to reason with them. They don't listen. There's nothing you can do apart from essentially get them out of the way. Death is the only answer for people like Nabal. We saw that when we went through 1 Samuel. And here too, the thorns, where there's no other way to handle them but to arm yourself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and in the end they are utterly consumed by fire so that they don't come back. Heaven goes with the picture of hell. You won't have a heaven without hell. And therefore, it is not just a spirit word about the future. There is a spirit word about security. Nothing will spoil this creation that God is bringing into play. And you might say, actually, that is not just a spirit's word to David. It is actually... The Spirit's word to Jesus. He himself spoke about the future in those terms. And he said, didn't he, that there was a field of wheat and a field of tares, thorns if you like, and the tares would have to be taken out and burnt. There's no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. David, the Spirit is saying the same thing to David as he said to Jesus too. The security will be there. And nothing will stop the new day with the cloudless sky and the abundant growth in God's new creation. So those are the last words. And they are, yes, the first words. God raises someone on high. And then we have, as a result of that, the future words. 
that someone will come from the family of David who will bring a future like this. Now I'll tell you what the application of that will be in a minute, but I just want to see how uh, we can learn from the second bit, and that is about David's mighty men. I think there are two things that we can learn about David's mighty men. And one is that we can have, they show us how we might have confidence in God. You get that, don't you, with the famous three, they do heroic tasks. But what they're doing, and I'm not going to pronounce those names again, uh, hard enough the first time, but between 8, verse 8 and 22 you will see that these guys were always fighting against overwhelming odds. Okay? You would never give them a chance against numbers that were amassed against them. There was nothing that they could do to win. And yet in each case, you notice they won not because they had those superhuman muscles that we saw in that cartoon at the start of our service, but because if you look at the end of chapter 10, at end of verse 10, at the end of verse 12, you see why they won. In verse 10 it says, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And in verse 12 it says at the end, um, the Lord worked a great victory. That is always the last line. Now I think that's going to be great encouragement there for us. I remember when David went to fight his first battle against the Philistines, there was a big lad called Goliath, and David was absolutely convinced the Lord would give him victory. And you see that that was not only true of David, it was true of his men. The Lord gave a great victory. Now look, Beckentry Church, take heart. When you read about battle scenes in the Old Testament, the way Christians go out and do battle is not through strapping swords to our waists. The way Christians in the New Testament go out and do battle is we go out and we persuade through evangelism. Here we are, a tiny church in a big estate. Let me tell you what it's going to be like. You are going to be so shattered, it's going to be like that guy who is so weary that his sword cleaves to his hand and he is absolutely exhausted if uh, you look at verse 10. That is what God's people go through and feel like. But through that exhaustion, the Lord brings about a great victory. Friends, as a church, if you want to sit back, take up the sun, ah, your call. But if as a church you want to know what God's great deliverance is like, then get in the front line and fight. Don't sit back in the easy chair. And you will find that you are fit to drop by the end if you're doing it right. And God will have the last line. This last line. Be confident. So easy, isn't it? Churches can come and essentially be, be kind of spectator sport. Uh, we sit in our chairs 
and we listen to a nice sermon, we sing a few nice songs, we go home, and we're just armchair listeners, passive. When you hit the sweat coming down your face and your, your desire has left you completely without any stamina left and you still press on, Friends, that's how it works in the Bible when great victory is to be found. One wonderful lesson is confidence. The other wonderful lesson, I think, is love. You remember these guys who uh, were around David when he said, I'd love some water from the well in Bethlehem. Remember David, as a young lad, he grew up in Bethlehem. He was longing for a bit of water from the well that he would have drunk from in his childhood days. And he would love to have some. And it is interesting, isn't it, that uh, he says, uh, uh, this would be such a wonderful thing. And then these three guys go out and they get it. And they bring it back. Uh, it is SAS stuff, really, because he's had to break through the lines to get to the Philistines to, to bring back the water, but that's what they do, and they bring it to David. Why? Why do they do that? He hasn't commanded them to do it. He's not going to like them any less if they don't do it. Yes, it's almost not even expecting them to do it. Why do they do it? Can I put it simply like this? They just want to see a smile on his face. That's all. Friends, there you have Christian obedience. It is not a question of we've been given orders, we better go out and do these things. Hard as they are, we don't want to, but let's. We have to. God will think less of us if we don't. That is not Christian obedience. Christian obedience is living your life to put a smile on God's face. That is what Christianity is about. You do things, maybe even crazy things, reckless things, just to put a smile on his face. It's what you do, isn't it? If you're a young married bloke, um, you do reckless things. You shouldn't buy that thing for your wife. You can't afford it. It's a reckless item of expense if you go out and get that. But you go and get it. Why? Because you just love to see the smile on her face when you take it to her. It's a reckless thing you're doing, but she loves it. And that is actually, I think, what happens with David. When they take the water to David, he doesn't pour it out on his ground and say, You idiots, why do you do that? You put your, you, you're three, three good guys. I don't want to lose him. Why do you, why do you take such risks? It is interesting, isn't it, that he pours it out to the Lord, it says. He's not dissing them. But he's saying, Lord, what they've done, it's too good for me. I'm going to put this in front of you as something they've done for you. I'm taking their service to a high level. I'm pouring it out to you. It's not, this is, what they've done is too much for me. 
And so he doesn't pour out that water treating it like trash. He pours out the water treating it like treasure. That's how God operates. And I want to draw some conclusions from that. First, if you're someone who's uh, new to Christian things, and you're wondering, what's the basic lesson that I need to learn to become a Christian, to live Christianly? I think I want to suggest from this passage, trust the words of uh, the Bible, because the last words will always back up what the first words said. Remember Hannah's first words? God will take the low and make them high. And David's last words say, now listen to the oracle of the man that <coughs> was raised on high. They are the future words. Past words are going to be uh, the future words. And you remember in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, doesn't he, passwords, that the Lord Jesus is going to be someone every knee will bow to and confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, those are future words. Yeah, they're past, but they are the words that will last. And if you are to build your life on anything, don't build your life on passing words. Build your life on past words, because they will be what the future will show us to be true. So you've got a choice, haven't you, in Hannah language. Uh, you can either um, take the arrogant position and say, ha, I don't think what God said in the Bible is ever going to happen. And that high view of yourself will be brought low. Or you can take a humble view of the Bible and say, I'm going to build my life as if every word here is going to be true in the future. And then you will find that the low will be high and uh, lifted up as we sang in our song. Great message if you're new to Christian things. What happens if you're a seasoned church traveller? You've been around services for a very long time. You know the story of David. You've had it since you were ha, way back in Sunday school. What might there be here for us to learn? Well, look, have a look at David's mighty men. Have a look, have a look. Let me ask you, in all the names there that you heard read, did you notice one name that was missing? Did you? The one who's been there with David right next to him, through thick and thin, he's not in this list. Who? Hmm? Joe. Joe. His brother's mentioned in verse 18. The Abishai, the brother of Joab, but Joab. Joab, the commander of David's army. Joab, the one who was there in every single action. Joab, the one who was constantly chatting to David and giving him advice on what to do. No, Joab's not there. 
It's interesting, isn't it? The high, not just brought low, missing altogether. Now, my friends, I want to say to church people that you could be, your name may be off the list. Take it in. It might be a surprise. Jesus says it will be a surprise. If you look at Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21, 23, it says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do this, that, the other in your name? See, Joab could have said that to David. I did all these things in your name. It's almost like David saying, I never knew you. Which is what Jesus says. To people who know what to call him, they know his name, they've been to church, they've been well instructed, off the list. Not part of the people of God. It is interesting, isn't it? The Bible loves lists. You've got actually a much longer list. I bottled out. Uh, but if you wanted to read on and uh, really lose yourself in tongue twisters, verses 24 to the end will give you a marathon of big names. Why does the Bible have so many names? Because the Bible loves to record those who are in, as Hannah said, as opposed to those who are out. You know the uniform, and you know that you go to that school, and no one else does. Well, if your name isn't on the list, then you're not there. Or that you might go to church. Uh, be careful. Be warned. Thirdly, what happens if you are someone who is wanting to be true to the God of Israel. I want to suggest that there are two things here that we saw just now that are wonderfully helpful for us to take home. One is confidence. Confidence that even though the number may be overwhelming, a tiny church, a big estate, and tiredness filling the system. This is the only route to victory. Second, love God. Do things in your life, do things this week, not out of duty, not out of guilt, just simply to put a smile on his face. I live that way. Even crazy things. I've been always amazed at uh, that story that Jesus said about the woman who put expensive ointment on his feet. Remember the story? Might have heard it before. And everybody said, what a cracking waste of money. What a complete moron to do all that. It is interesting that Jesus said, uh, actually, I see a big thing here. I, I see that she's anointing my body for my funeral. I think she's doing something pretty massive. Now, I'm not sure whether the lady herself thought that that's what she was doing. But it is interesting, isn't it? That craziness, God sees as a good thing. He puts a smile on his face. My friends. Love God so much.
that you will be crazy in a way that wants to put a smile on his face. Even though it does seem fairly reckless. God will never treat it as trash. Pour it on the ground, say waste of time. He will see it as treasure. Give yourself to that work. I'm going to say we pray, and then after that, let's take some questions. Um, we'll pray first. Well, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us a ruler who will lead us into a cloudless morning, into a refreshed and renewed creation. We thank you for these lovely, simple Bible pictures. Not complicated, easy for anyone to be able to understand and imagine and love and be warned by when we see that the thorns won't be there and ultimately permanently removed. Please help us with that future in our minds to serve the Lord Jesus with confidence and with deep love for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen.